You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience, your one-stop shop for independent conservative constitutional thought and analysis here on Westwood One's podcast network, powered by Conservative Review. And it is Friday at the end of the week, the end of a dreadful week. I don't think I've ever looked forward to Saturday more than I did this week. You know, I didn't set out to be an expert in sex, beer, and flatulence. Uh, You know, I tried to study policy and law, constitutional issues, history, all things I thought were relevant to succeeding in this business and actually having an impact on public policy discourse. But I was wrong. You know, this all boils down to yearbooks and high school uh, behavior. And that's truly the political outcome we deserve. Our politics reflects our culture. It reflects our nation. It reflects who we are. And we're governed by what we deserve. So typically, on a show like this, at a time like this, I'd be discussing the latest going on in immigration. I wanted, I promised to have a deep discussion on immigration trends and its consequences and assimilation. A lot of recent census data I've written about, and I haven't gotten to it. Obviously, I would talk about what what in any other time would be remarkable news, having a majority party with control of the presidency agree to pass and sign into law a budget a set of budget and policies that codifies everything the minority wants, where all but five House Democrats vote for a Republican budget, even given the fact that they are so radical and so predisposed to oppose everything Republicans do and Trump signs even when it's liberal, to tell you how bad it is. And yet, only 56 House Republicans voted against the the worst budget and policy betrayal ever at the hands of a majority party um, to slight their, their base of voters. But of course, this is not even a footnote, and rightfully so. You know, when you have something this riveting going on, and I want to get to in a minute, there there are important things that even though we try to stay away from the soap opera and only focus on public policy outcomes because that is what, what what we're about here. This saga and the Senate Judiciary Committee with Kavanaugh and the accuser and the circus around it has a lot of important policy outcomes and that, that are very important to the foundation of this country, and we, we need to talk about them. And as always, we're going to talk about it from angles, maybe we'll include some angles that you've heard from other uh, conservative talk radio show hosts, writers, columnists, but of course, always from a unique angle that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Because I appreciate 
your indulgence so much that you take the time to listen and take the time um, to ask me questions that care about what I think. I'm so honored by it. So I'm not going to abuse that trust by just, you know, faxing it in and just giving what everyone else says, what you could hear everywhere, everywhere else. So we're not going to get into many of the other issues we typically do. And that in itself is problematic. And nothing is with the exclusive of, of the other. This week, it, the, the most important thing, ground rule to set from the get-go here for this analysis, is that more than ever, multiple things are true at the same time. I know I've been saying that, that a lot. I know others have been saying that, particularly the last couple of years, where you know we're caught with these false choices, binary uh, idolatry, it's this or this. Everything's true at the same time. It's true that ultimately what Republicans are screwing us with on everything else that no one else in the conservative media will even touch. And by the way, it's important to remember that while I think it, I understand why the extraordinary circumstances drowned out the GOP betrayal, they weren't exactly going to talk about it even before the Ford allegations drowned this out. I've been focused on this for six months, ever since President Trump said, I will never sign a budget bill like this again in March. I said, all right, we have six months until the next deadline. Let's make the case. Let's build a movement. And no one did it because it was one soap opera after another. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's not like we have a movement that is going to talk about it anyway. It's true that Republicans are absolutely worthless in the long run. If you, I'm not going to get into it, but I'm going to link to in show notes. You read my article on the GOP budget betrayal. Um, I take a long view of it. Republicans controlling the House, 20 of the last 24 years, the branch of government closest to people, the branch of government that you can most swiftly control with a simple majority, they've done nothing with it. Nothing to push back against the Senate. Um, nothing to push our, our agenda on a single issue. You look at what they did with the opioids, what they did with this false vote on um, – allowing uh, Democrats this freebie vote, non-binding resolution to condemn sanctuary cities for uh, allowing non-citizens to vote. There's a lot of perfidy taking place. But it's also true that what is going on with Kavanaugh is important. It's true that I still believe even after his stellar, um, riveting performance that I think was very important, and I'll get to why, I still think he's going to be more of a John Roberts than, than a Clarence Thomas, even though his personal defense of his own honor and integrity, which is important, was on par with what Clarence Thomas did in his day. I still don't think his jurisprudence is where, you know, is becoming of, of a death match. You know, that's the whole irony no one's talking about. I still think we're not fixing the Supreme Court. I still think we're missing the point that once we make the courts the final end all, you know, it just. It's not only bad for conservatives, it's bad for everyone in this country, and we should be having that national dialogue. I think it's absurd that we know everything about his uh, you know, drinking life in, in high school and his weightlifting and his football and whatever his calendar was in 1982. But if you look at my list of 15 questions on important constitutional issues that we should know, about anyone we're placing on the court. We really don't have an answer to most of them. It's true that Republicans 
and certainly Lindsey Graham are finally doing a good job fighting back, holding the line, but really only thanks to what Kavanaugh did. But it's also true at the same time that the only thing they'll do that for is a Supreme Court nominee while obfuscating their capitulations on every other issue, thereby using their one act of grace as an as a means of political morphine to dull our senses to the other betrayals. And even that one stand, I believe in the long run, doesn't matter other than keeping Republican voters on the plantation. It's true that there are too many un, underreported, unreported rapes in this country. It's also true that there are people that are wrongly accused of it. It's true that you could have a victim that really doesn't remember most of the important details and legitimately has a reason for not coming out after so many years. I can't put myself in their shoes and I'll trust the psychology behind it. It makes sense to me. It's plausible. But at the same time, it's true that if you don't offer the details, God bless you, and maybe you're even still credible. Maybe it happened, but we just don't know. We can't, we don't have what to go on, and you can't condemn an innocent man without that information. It's also true. It's also true that I believe Republicans will still get crushed in this election, but we'll see what happens. And that we're going to continue playing this game to no end. And then there's another thing that's true at the same time, which is really very frustrating to me. On the one hand, on policy outcomes, not if you look at a three-month window, but if you look at a five to 10 to 20 year window, there really isn't a difference in voting Republican. And and to the extent there's a difference, it's just enough not to really make a fundamental difference in the arc of the trajectory of this nation and its culture and its body politic and its policies, but just enough to dull our senses to prevent us from rebelling against the two-party system and changing it. But at the same time, I do understand that as much as I hate Republicans and as much as they often act vile to conservatives, but there's this degree of evil vileness coming from the Democrats where there is no shred of intellectually intellectual honesty, no moral moorings, where legitimately it's hard for Republican voters to take a look and say, look, there's no difference. No, Republicans don't really act that way. You know, you could say, well, there's too much polarization, but really, I mean, Republicans agree to everything Democrats want. And even when they vote against their Supreme Court nominees, they just vote against them. They don't personally tear them to the ground. No one could accuse them of ever doing that. They really never did that. And I guess that's where Lindsey Graham gets his credibility because he downright voted for them. So it's tough because I think people see what the Democrats are doing. I mean, Republican voters are like, dude, what, what do you want me to do? I got, I, I can't let them win. And I, I, I said last time, I understand this. I said on my Wednesday show, I understand this. But you can't ignore all the other evidence I've presented over the last number of days, months, and years that it's fundamentally not making a difference and we need to up our game 
and we need to think of something more than just tuning in in November of every two years to vote Republican. You got to pay attention. That, that, that's just the reality. It's also true that at the same time Democrats are acting evil, Republicans have greased the skids by giving them everything they want where they don't fear any adversity, that there's there's no check and balance on them. Maybe if they did this more often, they'd be a little bit more circumspect before they, they, they try to pull some of this stuff. But a lot of this is their fault, including the fault of people like Lindsey Graham, who for years have set the tone enabling things like this. A lot of things are true at the same time. So, before we unpack just what happened here during Thursday's hearings, and and by the way, this is why I waited two days. I hate this blow-by-blow need to write on something as it's happening. Oh, this is great. Oh, Ford was pretty riveting. Oh, Kavanaugh was riveting, too. Well, that's why you got to hear the whole thing. You know, I could give a opinion pretty early on something if it's a policy, if it's an issue. If it's something like this, you really got to look at what's the full picture and then, you know, before you start rendering an opinion on it. But I want to I just want to dispel one thing that ties into all of this. And I'm very concerned about it. And that's this Lindsey Graham heroics. I'm seeing from some of you who follow me on Twitter these messages like, no, they, like everyone has it all figured out. No, you don't understand. Really, Lindsay was awesome. It's just It was just because McCain had a leash on it, and now that McCain died, no, 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 he is going to be a hero. I want, I want you to watch out for something. So two things, and again, talk about things being true at the same time. Two things you know from me. I've never declined to praise someone when I felt they were right on something, including McConnell, including people I criticized 90% of the time. You know, it doesn't make them wrong on one thing. But making them right on that one thing or even you know going out of their way to be like righteous on that issue doesn't take away the problem that you know they're problematic on a host of other things and they're still a cancer you know on net on on our cause. So there's that. It's very important to 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 just recognize that. I've I've always recognized people. And and the other thing is I've always recognized that Lindsey Graham had a flair to him. Oh, when he wants to be on your side, he's very effective. Heck, I think Democrats are more effective than Republicans, and I think establishment Republicans have more fight in them than conservatives do when they want to fight because they're political animals. Our side, that's the problem. Our guys are just so meek. Sometimes you need to import someone from the other side when he actually agrees with you on an issue to be righteous on something because he'll do a better job. Our, our, Our side are full of a bunch of wimps. And this is why our people are starving, starving for someone to fight back. And that's why I respect and, – and, and at the time with Trump, I supported Cruz, but I respected what people saw in Trump. I never belittled that. And I, I even told Cruz and his people, you got to step up your game. You're not speaking to where people are. You're not speaking to that outrage, the emotional outrage that we don't seek to dominate the left. We, we, we're even willing to give them half the states. 
know, we understand federalism. We don't want to dominate them everywhere. We understand we're a divided country. But can you let us just have our place somewhere where we're not forced to service the homosexual agenda? We're not forced to become a third world country. We're not forced to subsidize everyone else. We're not forced into affirmative action. Can we have some semblance of, of our traditions just somewhere? We don't want to dominate you. Why do you have to just destroy us? But no one ever speaks to them. No one ever unleashes on them the way they unleash on us. No one ever unleashes on the Democrats, which is why people were just starved for it and why they gravitated to Trump and why I think rightfully the meters, you know, if you had what, what's his name, that that Jlub, that guy on Fox, um, that unkempt guy. Trump calls him a schlub. <laughs> What's his name? The guy with those funny uh, metrics where he hooks people up to these, you know, machines where they they say during debates, you know, how much it struck their fancy based on what they said. Like I saw those meters just going up with with. Um, I, I think anyone in the middle who saw it too, but certainly Republican voters, they're just starving for someone to finally just do it. Like. This is what we want during the confirmation hearings. Like, I, you wouldn't be that belligerent, obviously, but say affirmative action is wrong. Roe is wrong. Just say it. They're not going to vote for you anyway. Have this debate. You have a national platform. Do it. And again, this is not just a criticism of him. You know, all the nominees were like that. We love that we finally saw that flare from him. Step out of your Carl Rove circle of consultants and do it. Let's see the human side of you. Just say what you th- you're thinking. That's what people appreciate about Trump. And I know this way what you in the audience appreciate about what we try to do here. I'm just always going to I'm never going to couch what I believe in any funny statements. I'm just going to say it straight out. So people are starving for that. Starving for that. So I get that Lindsey Graham finally did that and people are like, "Wow, this is great." And this this has been building for a couple of weeks already where he's been cozying up to Trump and everyone's like, wow, what's gotten into Lindsay? He's gotten pretty good. And now I'm seeing like this full court worship. Like, no, Daniel, you don't understand. He's what, well, dude, trust, but verify. That's all I'm saying. Like, this is not just, you know, allowing one moment to shield from over a decade worth of, of betrayal and perfidy. I'm I'm talking. I'm not talking about the past. I could forgive the past. I'm talking about the future. Oh, so now, like, oh, Lindsay, now you get that all of the overtures and all the goodwill you've exhibited towards Democrats, they'll stomp you, rip your heart out, and and use it against you. Oh, so does that mean you're not going to work with them on immigration? Does that mean that now you recognize that they're not working in good faith on immigration and they want to use this to make a permanent Democrat majority and fundamentally transfer this, uh, transform, transform this country and not care about the security and fiscal solvency of this country with their immigration policies? Are you suddenly going to be open to our views and stop saying, tell the bigots to shut up? If the answer is yes, I, I'd love to have a weapon like him in uh, in our arsenal, because I yeah I think he is more effective than the so-called conservatives are. But you know, let's verify that. The reason why I'm saying that is because there's two very important things you have to watch watch out for. Number one, he's either jockeying for 2020 to get reelected, and is this enough that we shouldn't primary him? I mean, it's insane. 
They do this every time. This is what Mitch McConnell did with a rootin' branch. A rootin' branch. We're going to repeal Obama. And he said that so convincingly and ran so many ads. And I'm like, Daniel, really? I mean, how could you say McConnell supports Obamacare? And then the minute he wins the election, well, actually, the critical uh, ACA protections, a.k.a. the core of its insolvent regulations, really are vital. And we've always supported that. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You could almost plot it on a graph the two years before an election, they change and, and like not really in any meaningful way. You know, you might say this is meaningful and this is going to have impact and convince his colleagues, you know, Susan Collins or whatever. Fine. I mean, let him do it. For all the years he's used them to stab us in the back, he should use his goodwill as the god of the moderates to, to get them on board for once. Yeah, he should call in some favor for voting for Sotomayor and Kagan. But let, I mean, look, if in the next two years he goes gangbusters under issue, that's fine. I'd rather win without firing a shot by converting someone than, uh, than trying to get rid of him. The other thing you have to watch out with is there's a lot of rumors swirling around that this whole cozy up and effectiveness and you know righteous indignation and combativeness is all geared towards November 8th, Trump canning Sessions and and uh, nominating Lindsey Graham for attorney general. Now, based on his performance, you want to say, well, that's what we need is AG. Really start thinking about the issues an AG deals with. This is a man who, I mean, I'm not talking about the gang of eight. I'm not going back to five years. I'm going back to just several weeks ago, is obsessing about uniting the Central American families. I mean, this guy would provide lawyers for each one of them for free. Let's not forget that. Let's not lose ourselves here. Let's not get caught up in the moment. I hate when we get caught up in the moment. There's one thing that we do here. It's to look at things broadly. So I had to get that out of my system. And with that, let's go on to the meat and potatoes of the Ford testimony, the Kavanaugh testimony, and, um, and what it means. There's an angle I want to discuss that you're not going to hear elsewhere. This audience is very familiar with the issue of criminal justice. You know, crime, it's kind of a big issue. But amazingly, outside of a handful of people, whether you agree or disagree with my view on it, you would think we'd have a major debate over it in this country. But again, we don't have that. The political class just quietly made a consensus and does their work on that. We don't have a debate over it um, because, again, the focus is on flatulence, beer, and sex. But you would think, you know, fundamentally, are you for deterrent? Are you for rehabilitation? Do you think fundamentally we have an over-incarceration problem or an under-incarceration problem on that? That's a very big question that needs to be answered. I have very strong views on that. Um, most people in the political class take the opposite view. Now, Daniel, are you trying to change the topic? No, this is the essence of what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about Ford or Kavanaugh on a personal level, on a political level. Of course, on a personal level, like anyone else, it's it's just it's just tra- tragic. I was just sick to my stomach. Just the whole Thursday, just watching eight hours of that. No human being could watching her and then watching Kavanaugh. It's just you know, rape is one of the worst things, or attempted rape is one of the worst things to do, and then falsely accusing someone of it if they didn't do it is is just equally as bad. And you know, like what do you do with that? There's no, there's no winner in that. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's awful. But on a political level, what I'm more worried about is the foundations 
of our criminal justice system, both in a legal term of art sense and in a cultural sense, political slash court of public opinion sense, we have a major problem we need to worry about in this country that really scares me. Every member of the Senate Judiciary Committee on the Democrat side and half the Republicans, maybe a little bit more than half actually, a little bit more than half of them, support this criminal justice reform agenda. This agenda that believes that fundamentally we lock up too many people for too many things too long, that we need to let more people out of prison, we need to cut sentences prospectively, we need to spend more money in rehabilitation rather than deterrent, that the system fundamentally is too tough on the accused and on the convicted. And every one of these SOBs Every one of them, this is the committee that has jurisdiction over this issue, are the ones that authored and co-authored and supported and signed onto legislation to take individuals, not who have been accused, not who have been accused 36 years ago uncooperated without any evidence of the most bizarre things where it's vehemently denied, cases where someone is duly convicted with a preponderance of evidence beyond a reasonable shadow of doubt, that they have murdered as a 16, 17-year-old and committed murder. There's this effort to reopen their sentencing after 20 to 25 years. You know, let's say they're sentenced to life in prison without parole. That has passed into law in California last year. And that is Section 207 of the Lee Durbin Bipartisan Senate Judiciary Sentencing Bill. And it is something, it's a standalone bill um, introduced by a Republican congressman from Arkansas and many others. But the point is, every Democrat, every Democrat organization, every left-wing organization supports this agenda, and they believe that this is, by the way, a modest start to that agenda. So, you know, talking about doing things when you're juveniles and, you know, like, that's inexcusable, rape is inexcusable, and I agree, but murder also is inexcusable, too. And... um they want to let them go. Now, I'm the only one who watched the hearing with this perspective because you know me. If there's ever a law and order guy, hang the rapist, cut his balls off, you know, um, lock them up, throw away the key after reasonable due process of one or two years, hang them, give them an electric chair, not after 15 years or never, it's me. If there's ever a guy that's into victims' rights and, and believes that on net, in general, broadly speaking, we are not sympathetic enough to the victims, we don't weigh the balance of equities on their side enough, we don't understand what it's like to be a victim going through the criminal justice proceedings seeking justice, that we mollycoddle criminals, that is me. You know, from speaking to victims, I've even had some on the show. What I was struck by is what they always say, how difficult it is to go through the process. You think, oh my gosh, someone murders or rapes or drunk driving, crashes into your car, kills your kid. Whatever it is, you know, 
it's terrible enough to deal with the tragedy, but okay, now you got the guy at least, and you know you'll you'll seek justice. It is so hard. You gotta you gotta hire your own lawyers. You gotta get cross examined. You gotta be put on the stand. Your your credibility is gonna be um, questioned, um, and you have to relive the experience every time. Nonetheless, even me. And I am called a fascist for my views on criminal justice if I just want to grab people, throw them away, even even someone like me. You have to get on the map. You have to have the ABCs. You have to have the evidence and cooperation. Oh, oh, he did it. Oh, he is the perpetrator. She or he is the victim. I'm pro-victim and I'm against the criminal. And I want to come down tough on him. But there's one condition. You need to verify that indeed that took place and he is the guy, right? That is very clear that I would never undo that basic thing. And and like I said before, that is an imperfection in our system. It's a necessary imperfection because we're not God. You know, ideally, no victim should ever have to put up with any of that. And and indeed, in the heavenly court, you don't because God just sees it and will render his verdict. But he also expects us to do justice in this world and we are commanded that everyone who comes before us, you have to presume both of them to be innocent until you hear the, the evidence, and then you judge on that. And then once you, you see the evidence and it becomes clear, then you can mete out justice. So it's hard enough, even, even under the legitimate due process, the legitimate mandatory floor under our constitution and our tradition of due process in this country, it's hard enough for a legitimate victim that knows she was raped, knows she was assaulted, knows he or she had their son killed by this guy in a drunk driving incident or whatever else, but they got to go prove it. That's hard enough, but that's a necessary evil. There's nothing we can do about that. But then we have so much crap added on, 50 million loopholes, of course, I'm for due process. But you know, with this exclusionary rule and things like that, what happens is you could often have 10 pieces of evidence that prove beyond the shadow of doubt, not just any all reasonable, but even any shadow of a doubt, the guy did it. But if there's an 11th piece that's tainted because of something, often that will ruin the entire case. <clears throat> it's something like that that we need a movement to get together and try to see what we can do to close some of these loopholes without obviously breaking that floor, that all-important mandatory floor that we all want. But no one does that. Instead, what they want is people that absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt murdered their cousin, son, daughter, brother, father, mother when they were 17 years old. And I just picked this because this is just one very specific example, and this juvenile crime thing ties a little bit into what is going on with Kavanaugh. They want to pass laws forcing victims to go through. They have to show up to the hearings because if they don't show up to the re, the reopening of the sentencing, the hearings, they'll be let go. And they often get cross-examined. They, they all tell me, I wouldn't know this. Thankfully, I was never a victim. I, I, I wouldn't know this. But what I was struck by hearing from all of them is, um, you know, because I'm focused more on the deterrent and the crime but they were so into the fact that I have to relive this again. It was just very interesting. 
So I am all for the need that in general we have overcorrected in our system and we focus too much on the criminal, not enough on the victim. But I am a lonely voice on that. Where the hell is Booker and Harris and the other pieces of on that committee? I'll tell you where they are. They don't give a darn. They want to bury victims. And I'm talking about victims of people that have already been duly convicted and beyond a shadow of a doubt they committed the crime. With that background, I was watching the hearing. Now you understand what I'm driving at. And they were like, this woman, a victim, what are you talking about? She shouldn't have to remember everything. She shouldn't have to, she has the right to decide when she wants to come out. What, I mean, shut up, believe her. And I'm thinking, you SOPs, you won't listen to a word a single victim's rights or a law enforcement group has to say about your dismantling of criminal justice in this country for people that absolutely committed these crimes. Duly convicted. You call it an injustice. Yet, in a case where someone says in 1982, and not even 1982 necessarily, in some house, basically the gist of her testimony is everything that's verifiable, she doesn't recollect and won't assert. But everything she asserts is unverifiable. But she's 100% sure Kavanaugh did it. And she's 100% sure about a very narrow, like almost like I'm, I'm taking you to a certain thing. There's no before, there's no after, there's no con- context. How do you get there? How do you get back? Did you talk to any? I mean, like just some sort of statement of narrative that if you sat in a room with People, not not publicly at a public spectacle, privately, which was offered. And she admitted that, oh, no, I, I never heard you guys offer to come out to California. There's something seriously wrong with that. And Democrat, I, I just couldn't believe it. And here's, here's the thing. Let me just say this as someone who believes in, in, in victims' rights. I fully believe... And I could appreciate that you could theoretically, let's say a voice from heaven would come out and say, you know, this person was raped or attempted to do, it was attempted raping. I could fully understand the psychology, why they'd wait 36 years, why they'd be kind of quirky, why they'd be an emotional wreck in a way where they'd be weird about flying, but then fly when they want to, remember what they want to, not remember what they don't. I'm not being sarcastic. I could understand that. But the problem is everyone is creating this false choice. Oh, so you're imputing her. You're you're saying she's a lot. Well, ultimately, someone's making it up here. I mean, that's that is a problem. It's mutually exclusive. Um, but no, what we're saying is, God bless you, but I don't the issue is not whether the accuser is lying. The issue is whether I could hang the accused whether I could destroy his life. That's the issue here. In this imperfect world, we can't do that. If we don't, this is not a matter of, oh, we're poking holes in the story. There is no story. A story is that it's pretty clear. Okay, either you admitted or we have it that you were at that party. We know the party. We know the date. We know the place. 
you were at at the party. It makes sense. Um, you kind of had what to do with her, and and just freeze frame. So at least there, even if there's no evidence that you went upstairs, anyone saw or heard ever again after 36 years that you actually raped her. Just okay, so you knew her. Maybe you were friends with her. Maybe you talked to her. You were at an event. They ha- she has a specific time, date, and place. Still, in co- in a court of law, it wouldn't you know hold up. There's there's nothing. There's literally nothing there. There's literally nothing there. But politically, at least we could understand. There's what to talk about. And I want to be be very clear. I'm not ta- when I talk about politically. I'm saying I understand this is not a court of law. I understand this is not a criminal proceeding. And I would agree that when you're talking about a political trial, when I say political, I mean, A, whether just in the court of public opinion, we're going to kind of say you did this, and B, whether we're going to deny you the political promotion, whether it's a Senate seat, whether it's a, you know, as voters, as, you know, confirmation for a Supreme Court, as senators on a committee or the full body, um, a president in nominating or, you know, a head of a company in terms of a job, you know, offering. I would say you don't need beyond all reasonable doubt standard. I I understand that. But I would argue what you do need is somewhere in the ballpark of it is likely that he did it. That's a lower standard, but it's more likely he did it than not. Nobody with any shred of honesty, I don't care your politics, and you know, I'm independent here. I don't particularly like Kavanaugh's jurisprudence. I don't think he's going to make a difference. I hate Republicans. I don't consider myself a Republican. I actually have a vested interest in seeing this go down because this will take away the political morphine and actually burn Republicans one, you know, excuse for keeping this charade going and fooling people into not doing the right thing on the courts and in politics and party politics in general. I have a vested interest chaos theory to not want this go through. But I, I can't allow an innocent man, a, 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 someone who at least you have to presume he's innocent. We didn't know 100%. He, he, he supplied an awful lot of exculpatory cooperation and details and everything, as much as you could ever expect from something 36 years ago. Did he categorically prove it? No, but that's the problem. They're now saying that as long as it's plausible – it's pretty laughable all the coincidences that everything works out perfect to remember the exact right things and not remember the other things. And, you know, there's a lot of problems. I mean, wouldn't name Kavanaugh to the therapist, um, but won't release the notes to the committee, but won't say whether she released them to the Washington Post, won't say how how this even got public when Feinstein says she didn't do it, but she says she's the only one who had it. So then how did it go? But well, the media was hounding her. Well, how did the media know about it? I mean, this thing from stinks to high heaven. You know, even the Whelan theory, and we all agree it was reprehensible, and he himself apologized. Not that you could you know, undo the damage when he outed that particular individual with his theory, but no one ever pointed, you know, he the one thing he did wrong was naming a name. But it doesn't disprove that his narrative was actually better constructed than the narrative she's putting out. And what, what shocked me, no one's talking about this. She said not only see the one thing if like, you know, Wheeling comes up with a random guy. Yeah, he was in high, that high school class. He lived nearby. He had a layout that was similar. He looked almost exactly like Kavanaugh remarkably. Maybe it was him and and all the other details he had, which was pretty pretty intri- intriguing. 
And then she's like, what are you talking about? I don't know who that guy is. Not only did she know who he is, she said she informally dated him, and he was the guy that introduced her to Kavanaugh when they look so alike. That that sort of almost corroborates his theory because she won't say the biggest question. Whose party was it? Whose house? I, I understand that you don't remember the exact time, the exact date, but you don't remember the most important date. Who hosted it? If you remember P.J. Smythe and Judge and and Kaiser and Kavanaugh, of course, but you don't who who was the host? How did you get there? How was this arranged? There's no basic. Na- it's just like. I'm in a room and pushed into a room. Well, okay, I I, I feel for you. That, that's traumatic, but we got to know what happened. We got nothing. And this is what happens, the circus they created, when you don't sit down privately for several hours in the comfort of her home, which they offer to do. So this is un- this is an unbelievable standard that they're basically saying, as long as it's not, impossible for it to have happened, you're guilty. I mean, and and you look at what they were doing when they were questioning Kavanaugh. Basically, it was in the yearbook, yeah, you were pretty, you had some edgy moments as a high school kid. You drank beer. You, you got drunk sometimes. And why don't you want an FBI uh, investigation? Nothing about the event. They literally didn't have any. Like, I mean, that is really scary. That should scare us all. You look at something in a vacuum that kids did in high school. I mean, I was thinking, you know, I was joking about myself having the most boring, kind of stoic teenage background. Um, you know, grown up in Orthodox Jew. Obviously, there's certainly no gender stuff you can get on me because, you know, we didn't really, you know, associate with the opposite gender in, in a, you know, long form until courtships and then, you know, obviously getting married. Um, but I was thinking, like, I don't know. You know, what if someone says, Daniel, um, you need to be burned to the ground because you beat me with a baseball bat one day. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? What, what, what is that? You Well, you beat me with a baseball bat in 1996 um, after, after school. And... There's there's nothing there's nothing there but you know a bunch of people start trying to find someone from my middle school that like I did some sort of mischief in middle school I you know even me I mean yeah I mean I kind of did when I was in eighth grade give the sixth graders garbage can detention we'd kind of put them in the garbage can sometimes when they acted really obnoxious they'd come over to us and whatever you know you know even I did things like that. I mean, oh, you see it is this violence, you know, and you could build any narrative you want on that. It, it it's disgusting. I mean, it just scare everyone. But particularly with the sexualization of the culture and this trend of this Me Too business, you know, if everyone were kind of my lifestyle and the culture I come from, so you know, you don't have so many opportunities, but the reality is the culture is in the opposite direction. The left supports this, this sexing up, this co-ed mingling to the point. Um, and you know, I'm not saying everyone should hold the standards that my religion holds, but you know, this, you know, you, you swim together, you, you know, walk around half naked together and get drunk together. It, it certainly doesn't excuse if a real rape does wind up happening, but I'm just saying that provides tremendous amount of opportunities 
that anyone could just accuse you. And if you're not going to have any cooperation or evidentiary standards, you could easily just take a look. Well, oh, you're getting drunk and you're doing this stuff. Well, yeah, they all are now. I mean, but it doesn't mean you're a rapist. You, that's just a really dangerous, toxic mix of the way our culture is with boys and girls and the culture now of I believe the woman, which is the most absurd, vacuous statement um, around. It, it, it just it should just really scare everyone. So it, it, it is just amazing. You couldn't even get a judge to issue a probable cause warrant, much less a conviction based on her testimony, based on what we've seen. Even if it ha- it was alleged to have happened last week, but certainly when you have and, and and I think most of you probably saw this on your own, what is possibly the the most telling moment there were several of them was that among you know the four people she listed, they all uh, sent a statement under threat of perjury that they don't know him or or well some of them didn't know him, um, judge obviously did, but um. You know, they, they, they don't know of such an event that ever took place. And she listed them as being there. And then her own friend that she said she was confiding into, it's not like, oh, well, we had a falling out three years ago. No, they were friends for, what, 40 years or something until this very week. And she's asked, well, you know, your best friend is someone you listed as, and, and she just said there's there's no truth to this. And she, and Ford, threw her under the bus and basically, well, she's having health issues and she kind of stammered, but basically what she was saying is that her lawyer basically just kind of put signed off on this and was like, yeah, let's, you're having problems in life. You don't want to get dragged into this. Just say you don't know any. I mean, really? Really? And again, God bless her. I, I hope she finds inner peace. I don't know what her story is, but we can't hang a man for this. You can't do that. This shouldn't be political. He's not my choice just as much as he's not the Democrats' choice. I guess from the opposite angle. For every bit that they think he's going to overturn Roe and Obergefell and some of this stuff, I think he won't. (laughs) But, like, I wouldn't do this to anyone. But but, but I I just want to reiterate again. The galling and appalling hypocrisy on criminal justice. You know, Dianne Feinstein started off with a statement that literally deracinates the entire premise of her agenda of criminal justice reform. It's built upon this premise that we have an over-incarceration problem. And what I've been saying, and and the only one publicly to have really effectively made this case in his Wall Street Journal op-ed, is Senator Tom Cotton, that actually on net we have an under-incarceration problem. We have an under-incarceration problem. That for every, you know, person you could legitimately point to me that maybe they don't belong in jail, either non-violent, low-level, I could find you 10 to 20 others that belong in jail and were never convicted and never... Or, or never even caught, never even reported. And the numbers bear that out. 
And I've said this over and over again. And she's like, there's hundreds of thousands of unreported sexual assaults in this country. Let me tell you something. I believe it. I, I believe it. I actually, I agree with the Democrats. It's underreported. Everyone knows that. And certainly, for, even from the reported, it's unconvicted. But that in itself proves we have an under-incarceration problem. If you would take all the people that we know, all the crimes we know took place, and convict the people we know legitimately accused and with strong evidence against them, or at least discover, and I'm not saying we have that ability, I'm not, the world's not perfect, but I'm just saying, I'm saying this proof, in other words, if you want to tell me of an over-incarceration problem, then you can't tell me there's so many violent criminals out there that go unreported, undetected, un, unarrested, unconvicted, because that means that it's not true. That means that fundamentally there's not enough that we have a crime problem, which is what we've been saying forever. Fundamentally, we don't deter it enough. FBI just came out with their 2017 data literally a couple days ago. Full data. They had preliminary data a couple, couple, couple months ago. There were known 1.177 million known violent criminal offenses committed last year, reported last year, just in one freaking year, one year. The clearance rate, number cleared by arrest, is only 45.6%. Okay, that means that there's over 600,000 cases that have gone uncleared, meaning they either weren't convicted, they weren't solved, they were never caught, often is the case, depending on which category of crime, category, category of criminal offense we're referring to. There were 15,657 reported murders. Now, as to be expected, murder is something so definitive and harder to get away with the clearance rate was higher. That was 61.6%, which is actually higher than I've ever seen. It's usually in the 50s, but 61.6% clearance rate, that's good. But still, that's several thousand murderers on the streets. Known. But I want to get to other criminal offenses. 121,000 reported rapes. That's a lot. You can't tell me we have a low crime problem. Stop with this tough on crime regime. Oh, we have a rape epidemic. Look at the numbers soaring over 100,000 a year. There's an Axios story on that. Well, I'm glad some people are focusing on what I've been saying here, and you guys have heard this for a while. Only 34.5% clearance rate. And look, a lot of that is, again, the imperfection of humanity in our system. It's, it's, very, it's, often, it's a lot harder to prove that than, than murder. So it's a lower rate. And, and the Democrats are saying, and I think they're generally right, that the 121,000, that's just reported, that there's several hundred thousand more that are unreported. So how do you tell me we have an over-incarceration problem? Because if we had, not a perfect system, you're not going to have a perfect system, but a much better system, according to your own righteous BS, we should be locking up hundreds of thousands of more people. 293,160 robberies, only 29% clearance rate. 747,000 aggravated assaults, only 53% clearance rate. 
Those are hundreds of thousands of people. We have a crime problem in this country. Where are the Democrats? And frankly, half the Republicans joining us to stiffen the penalties, mainly on a state level. It's mainly a state issue, but still, stiffing penalties for rape and sexual assault. Let's shake hands on it. You're worried about it? Could we start with the people that are downright proven and convicted beyond a shadow of a doubt? But no, you want to hang someone with no evidence. This is what is so appalling. Everything with them is ass backwards. I guess that's why the rear end is their national symbol. They're obsessed with it. More ways than one. Everything with them is so perverse. Morally and intellectually. Makes no sense. As someone who has fought this battle lonely for tougher on crime laws in general... But it's not, it's not like one thing. I'm not tough on crime, meaning, oh, let's just grab someone based on any accusation. No, meaning once you know the, that part, you can't skip. There's no shortcut to that. Now, I would argue they've added on BS layers of due process that don't exist constitutionally. But this is just insane. Nobody's calling them out for this. Part of the problem is because 90% of the people supporting Kavanaugh are the ones also pushing criminal justice to form. Let's shake on it, Democrats. I'm going to send this advice to some of my friends in Congress, staff, members. They should push legislation calling them out on this. Dare them to to co-sponsor it. You want to get tough on rape? Let's get tough on rape. But again, you always got to be careful. Commensurate with the severity of the crime is the severity of being accused and not having done it. So you got to make sure you got the right guy. Got to make sure it's right. Got to make sure it happened. I'm I'm scared for our country that we've reached a point where politics matters so much that we're willing to do this. And don't say both sides do this. You know I hate Republicans more than any other right-leaning figure in politics today. Okay, I think I think I own that space. But no, you can't accuse Republicans of doing similar things. No, they, they actually don't do that. They just quietly agree with every Democrat policy they want and are feckless and stupid and perfidious. But this thing, this much they don't do. And, and this is what's tough. Republican voters see this and they're like, look, we have no choice. This is what is so, so difficult about this situation. But I wanted you guys, in addition to hearing my thoughts just on the evidence and the, and the stuff, we have to get a little bit more to Kavanaugh himself. But I, want you, I wanted you guys to understand this angle, this hypocrisy on criminal justice and the ramifications for our country. They were rapidly reaching a point. And, and you see this embedded in the issues too with, with affirmative action, with everything they're obsessed with identity and stories and emotion. And emotion has its place in life. But by golly, you can't put it in something like this. It's so ironic because as much as I'm one of the biggest critics of the, of the federal judiciary in the country, I've always told you I believe this is one area where I think the courts, as flawed as they are, they generally work right when it comes to individual criminal cases and controversies under the law, not ruling over the law 
and ruling on constitutional questions as the sole and final arbiter, that's just purely political. The court system then breaks down. But when it just relates to individuals, you get a pretty fair shake. And we tend to be pretty technical and leave politics and emotion aside. It's not a perfect system, but it's, it's pretty good. And this is the one area of the legal system the Democrats want to violate when it comes to political lynchings, which I understand aren't exactly legal. But, you know, you got to have some standard of likelihood that he even did it, that he even could have done it. Um, especially when in a lot of these states, they don't have statutes of limitations for sexual offenses. So theoretical, this stuff could be live fire ammo in a criminal case. Um, you know, none of this takes away any of the points we've been making until now, just politically that fundamentally this doesn't matter. But I think this in itself does matter just culturally as this whole coming out becomes an issue. And like I've said before, I am a cut the guy's balls off when it comes to rape. But you do have to remember, A, you know, you do have, you know, false allegations, but also we do have this problematic culture where we don't see these 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 feminist movements this is the problem they want to have it both ways they want to treat women like flowers and like navy seals at the same time like they're men firefighters like they they're they're men women are men too but they want the best of all worlds whereas in our traditionalist view we view women with dignity and respect and we're not going to treat them like a guy pal you know we're not going to hang out around them like we would a guy as a man and, you know, I think that in itself will create just naturally more barriers. Um, whereas, you know, to them, they have this culture that there's no difference between a man and a woman. Literally, it's so much to the point that you could even switch hit if you want and literally call yourself the other, other one. And what's amazing is these same people that are appalled that maybe someone in college because you have some of these other accusations, not of rape, but act sexually inappropriate. And yet they literally want penises in female showers and bathrooms and schools and the military and everywhere else. It amazes me. No one calls them out for it. But they've created this culture. They've created this entire culture. It's disgusting. They've created an entire culture that's sexualized, hyper-sexualized at the same time, but then men and women are the same. You know, so therefore you have men treating women like men, some women not acting ladylike, and it's just all, it's the whole thing, it just goes downhill from there. Now, God forbid, I'm not suggesting that Oh, so that means some people deserve it. No, 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 no. you're always going to have rape, and you did, and that always needs to be dealt with. And, and again, I would argue that's why sentencing is so important. 
See, what's amazing is they want to convict someone without evidence, but then when someone is convicted with evidence, they want lighter sentencing. How about you do the opposite? How about you always have to have a standard before you convict someone for one day of jail. You got to know they did it. But once you know they did it, hang them. And that will serve as a deterrent. Right now, there's so many ways to get out of things when you legitimately did do it, even when there is cooperation and evidence. There's not enough of deterrent against kids or adults trying to do things like that. Under my system, believe me, you'd have a lot of a heck of a lot of deterrent. It's what they don't understand with the with the mandatory sentencing. I'd love to see that. Now, before we just go on to Kavanaugh himself, I want to note that the story is the my my record is out there on Roy Moore. How God is my witness, but you guys also are because I did this publicly, that I didn't play the tribalism game that where it's my guy, I take one, you know, um, what one side of the story and when it's someone else's guy, I, I have different set of principles for, for standards on evidence um, this was episode 166. My thoughts, t- the title of the podcast was My Thoughts on Roy Moore, Pursuit of Truth, and the Outlook Beyond. It was November 14th, 2017. And you could hear I had the same approach. I was like, look, you have to presume someone's innocent until you, you see kind of a critical mass of, of evidence and just plausibility of narrative. But at the same time, I didn't seek to discredit. I was like, you just got to let it play out. And here this has played out. And, you know, that's why I didn't, I didn't, you, you, you could follow me until now. I didn't seek to discredit. I was like, let's, let's, let's hear it out. But I will note when you talk about let's have the FBI do it, let's call in more people. The problem is when it is quite evident that they did not act in good faith from day one and that they are approaching this from a perspective that he has to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt he didn't do it and is so unverifiable, they could always know. Like, so you bring in Mark Judge. Everyone knows Mark Judge is a dumpster fire. It's just, just, you know, it's just a human tragedy. He's got problems. So they're going to, oh, this guy's a real train wreck. He could have really been in on this. And he was friends with Kavanaugh. Like, I mean, you know, have, have you never been friends with someone that had issues in life that turned out to wind up having issues? You know, and it, it's going to rub off on him and, and it's all going to be guilt by association type of stuff. Oh, well, you drank in college. You did, you know, it, it, they, don't, they don't want the truth. They have already abused their power to such a point that, no, we just need to vote on it. And it looks like that's what, what they're going to do. And why has the tide changed? So I just want to talk about Kavanaugh himself before I completely lose my voice. I was genuinely shocked by what he did. It was exactly what he needed to do, exactly what I wanted him to do. Now, I wasn't rooting for any side because, like I said, I wanted to get to the truth. But after the way they behaved... And after what we know, we have no ability to draw any other conclusion at this point other than the fact that he's innocent. And what we do know is that based on the process that they established, 
there is no way he will ever get a fair hearing. So there is no point in doing anything but voting. And it was he finally spoke the truth. And as much as I don't like the political morphine, as much as I'm, you know, my chaos theory theory, and I'm kind of like a reverse psychology type of guy with this, that when conservatives are getting stabbed proverbially, obviously proverb proverbially by Republicans, politically, politically gang raped. And but then they're injected with morphine to shield the pain. I would rather the stabbing stop, but the next best thing is to take away the morphine so they actually feel the pain. So I don't like when you have these morphine moments of, oh, we're a Republican or a certain Republican, they stand up for something. I still don't like that it's, um, you know, it's allowing them to shield themselves from the most appalling governance, that this was the worst two years you could ever have from a majority party running Congress. The worst ever. And that headed in the future, aside from having another seat on the Supreme Court, which in itself has much more limited utility than people think. And and holy smokes, watch out for John Roberts, because now especially given the cloud, and I'm not saying it's a legitimate cloud, but the cloud that the political class inside the Beltway has cast upon Kavanaugh, and this is really what makes Roberts tick, he's going to do everything he can to try to avoid taking up reversing you know radical lower court decisions and reversing very harmful phony precedent so we we need to have a discussion about the future and and, and we're going to have that but for now I, I understand why people were riveted by what Kavanaugh did because nobody is punching these people in the face one of the things I've observed, since you know, really the last year and a half, is every time we have a cabinet nominee, someone go before a committee, whether it's for confirmation, whether it's for oversight, they always deferentially agree to everything the Democrats say and promise, no, 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 no you don't understand. It wasn't this. Uh, you're right. Yeah, this, that. And, and certainly with the Supreme Court confirmation, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just following precedent. But yeah, I agree. Affirmative action is important. Like, what? Could we actually just say you're wrong and talk over them the way they talk over you? And he came out and did that. Now, he had to do it here. You know, it's amazing. The left had this argument that, oh, he's angry. So what happened to judicial temperament? That's the most bogus argument you could ever posit because either either you think he's innocent or guilty. But this argument that, okay, I could entertain that you're innocent, but you shouldn't be so uh, angry about it. Is, is ridiculous because had he acted any other way, I would seriously suspect he, he would be guilty. No, he, Assuming he didn't do it, that means your life was burned to the ground for the, one of the most serious accusations. You can't get up there and say, well, I hope everyone has a fair process. I just want to be heard. You have to act like someone would if that happened to them. The fact that you're a judge and running and, and trying to be a Supreme Court just doesn't matter. We're not talking about issues here. So he did what needed to be done. And and people are, are right to be proud of him. But the big question, and some of you might hear this from Steve Dace. Um, the, two of, uh, the two of us discussed this point last night. You know, 
it's 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 true of Kavanaugh personally, and it's true of all these people. All these people, whether it's Lindsey Graham, Orrin Hatch, John Cornyn, Chuck Grassley, and here's the punchline. Are you going to take this as a cathartic moment to finally change your modus operandi and the way you deal with the left and the Democrats? A lot of people are watching Kavanaugh and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's my hero. This guy's a Clarence Thomas. And my point is to caution people, I hope it would be true. I wish it were true. I don't think so. Our people never seem to learn that even when the Democrats get so vicious on a personal level, they continue their congenial um, modus operandi of working with the Democrats, legitimizing their false narratives. Will Kavanaugh take this as a cathartic moment, not just to change the way you know he – um, his demeanor on personal accusations, but on the issues too. And I don't mean that he shouldn't be a judicious and fair judge and automatically rule against Democrat political outcomes out of spite to them. I'm saying that things that he would naturally believe are right, but because of the way he has been politically reared in the system, oh, look, you, you can't overturn this type of precedent even though you know it's wrong. No, now you got to do it. Now you got to do everything they accused you of doing when you know it's the right thing and the constitutional thing to do. And, and, and this goes back to Lindsey Graham and the Republicans too. Everyone's like, man, they really stood up to them. Wow, this is I'm, – I'm proud of Republicans. While they simultaneously literally stabbed us in the back on every other issue. If this would serve as a cathartic moment where Grassley would say, oh my gosh, after everything I've done to hand the Judiciary Committee – over to the Democrats the last three and a half years. This is what they do to me. After everything I've done to try to work with them on criminal justice reform, this is what they do to me. No more. I see you can't work with these people anymore. If Lindsey Graham says, I get it now. I get what conservatives, what the people I used to call bigots, I get what they're concerned about with immigration, that the left has no shred of care or regard, certainly for Americans, but even for immigrants, even for illegal immigrants, it's all about political animalness to get more votes. Look, I'd be the happiest man around because I'll tell you, it's sure, it's, it's the hardest thing in life to try to break out of this two-party paradigm. We're still struggling with it. The best thing that could ever happen is for Republicans to turn into the party that they promised to be. But if you believe that, I got, a, got, got some property to sell you in uh, northern Mexico, controlled by the cartels. And you sure as heck are not going to get that if you just throw your wads at them and, and get on the plantation. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I mean, I just have people are like, Daniel, you have to give him credit. Fine, I, I give him credit for this, but you got to be – when someone stabs you in the back for a decade and they've shown no real evidence of changing on any other issue, and this is over an issue that until now in general Republicans have always held the line with Merrick Garland and everything just because and, – and it doesn't come from a good place. It comes from a bad place for two reasons. Number one, it comes from an idolatry of, of judicial supremacism, which is in itself very harmful, that they regard the court as the final word. So, oh my gosh, we got to be so careful. 
And number two, they use that to obfuscate everything else they do. You got to be careful with this. I understand why we're focused on this more than any other time. I understand why this would distract from a budget betrayal. I get it. I understand why you'd be proud of what Kavanaugh did, as you should be. I understand why you'd be proud of what Lindsey Graham did, as you should be. But looking forward, have they learned their lesson? You know, as we're talking now, I just uh, DM'd uh, Steve on this, and Steve put this out on Twitter. I didn't say anything yet, but I just retweeted him. On the American Bar Association, the ABA, the ABA just came out with a statement saying that the Senate should delay the confirmation. And I, I sent a message to, to Steve. I was like, this is exactly what we are talking about last night. This is the opportunity. The, the, the ABA, it's that culture in which people like Kavanaugh were reared through, that they respected that system that is so corrupt. Republicans complain about the ABA, but they still hold it up as the gold standard. They still talked about the history. Will you finally jettison any ABA influence and veto power through the nomination process and completely treat them in the Senate Judiciary Committee the same way you would treat the Federalist Society? Nice to hear you weigh in, but you don't have any, any legal political standing with anything. Who, who, who appointed them? You know what I mean? Like, Are they finally going to say it's gone too far and change the way they go about doing things and recognize that, oh my gosh, all of our Jeff Flaking and Lindsey Gramming and Susan Collinsing and Rhinoing over the years has gotten us nothing but a more emboldened and vicious, satanic, demonic opponent than ever before. Are they going to learn that lesson? Will Kavanaugh be the Clarence Thomas? Will Lindsey Graham be a Ted Cruz? I'll eat my hat if that's true. I hope it's true. But let's make it true. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you all. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 